Learn more about the albums you love with Dissect, a music analysis podcast hosted by me, Cole Kushner, a lifelong musician. Each season of Dissect dives deep into one album, examining the music, lyrics, and meaning of one song per episode. We've covered albums by Kendrick Lamar, Tyler the Creator, Frank Ocean, just to name a few, and our brand new season just launched all about Radiohead's 2007 masterpiece, In Rainbows. Listen to Dissect on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts, because great art deserves more than a swipe. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on Cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on Cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. David? Yeah. We've got a media memorial service to preside over today. Hope you've got a prayer picked out. <laughs> little choosing verse the hymns that, right now, yeah. There we go, yeah. Pick the hymns. Because it is the end of HBO's Real Sports. Oh. Final episode of the magazine show airs tomorrow, January 19th. It started back in 1995 when you and I were still in high school. Wow. It's been on 29 seasons, which is an eternity, and then some in television. Thought we'd talk a little bit about real sports' heyday first. If you think of the media world as what we used to call the magazine feature well, Mm -hmm. it would have the fun stories, it would have the celebrity profiles, and then you'd have the articles delving into the more difficult topics in the case of sports where the fun and games ran head on with moral issues. That was real sports. Sort of like the sportsy version of 60 minutes. Except I think that show actually existed on Showtime, but it was in, it was in, it was carrying the, carrying the mantle, carrying the sword of 60 minutes. What am I trying to say here? Sure. It was 60 minutes ever sports. That's the elevator pitch. It's interesting is it was the final TV act or final until he decides what he's going to do next for Bryant Gumbel, who was at the beginning of his career, a sportscaster. You and I remember him as the host of the today show in the eighties and nineties. And there's always different characters on morning TV. He was definitely the guy who was, you know, scrunching up his eyebrows, thinking about the news a little bit. The the one who could bring to that show a certain gravitas. Yep. 
while Willard Scott was doing weather reports. <laughs> and by the time he gets to real sports, which coincides just about the end uh, with of his run there on today, he's very much in the mode of, look, I've had my big network at bats. All I care about is truth now. He had the legal pad in front of him. Mm-hmm. And he was making notes as the correspondent story was airing. And then he could ask the correspondent some questions afterwards. Yeah. And part of the vibe of that show was, look, I've done a big jobs over here before. But now I am unencumbered by networks. I'm at a place where truth telling goes on. Not worried about a call from Paul Tagliabue or Bud Selig. No. We're, we're getting to the stuff here. Like you said, he had the, the serious journalist chops, but he also had the uh, the reputation, the celebrity, whatever that comes hosting the Today Show. And, like, and again, like you said, totally unattached from anybody with NFL or NBA rights that they had to worry about, you know, coming into conflict with. Speaking of which, the show's high period also intersects with a high period of HBO sports. Mm -hmm. This is where the smart shows are. Yes. And also the shows that are a little bit rawer than what you see on networks. This is the place where Vince McMahon and Bob Costas are going to get down Mm -hmm. and then have a sequel. And if you look at the recent cast of Real Sports, a lot of people that are in their own way in the Bryant Gumble mode. Soledad O'Brien used to be on CNN. Yeah. Now reinvented as a media critic of sorts on Twitter. She was on mm-hmm. Real Sports. Bernie Goldberg, who was on CBS and then reinvented himself as the media's full of liberals guy. Yeah. He did pieces for Real Sports. Mm-hmm. Looking at some of their highlights, of course, a big focus on brain injuries in the NFL. Some of the other pieces I was reading over the weekend, they were big on the nets that you see at baseball stadiums now that are down the foul lines. Mm-hmm. Kind of amazing that when we were growing oh, up, yeah. there were no nets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a foul ball coming right at you. Yeah. It's actually a serious and potentially terrible event. Did a famous piece I was reading about about children that were conscripted to race camels. I do not remember that. And helped cause an uproar and bring about change uh, in that world. If we want to pinpoint what happened to real sports, it strikes me that the problem of the magazine show on television is a little bit like the problem of the magazine itself. Absolutely. Whole world changes around you. And what is it? Is it that it was harder for them to navigate a faster news cycle and command attention from viewers? Uh, Yeah, I just think that in general, the weekly show is really difficult to pull off in the modern era because the presumption is that when it by the time it pops on TV, everything's, you know, five news cycles late. Uh, that's certainly what happened to the magazine, the, the physical magazine. Um, otherwise it'd be a newspaper, like newspapers are barely hanging on, but at least with the newspaper, you realize that like, I mean, you have the presumption that all oh, this, all, everything here was written in the past 24 hours, right? The, 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 a weekly magazine 
it's written in the past week, two weeks, whatever, you know, how can you possibly convey news uh, like that? And, and, you know, real sports to its credit was taking on issues that were bigger than just, you know, a weekly reactive thing. Um, but I just don't think people were really looking for things like that anymore. Yeah. And, you know, I'd get all the press releases and that was a show that I meant to watch probably more than I watched it in recent years, if we're being honest. Well, sure. I mean, it was also a show about, I mean, it was a press release sort of show, you know? I mean, that's just, that's, that's, that that came to sort of define it. And much like 60 Minutes, a lot of the pieces you'd see, I'd be like, why are they doing that? Or why are Mm -hmm. they doing that this week? I remember there was one about Jalen Rose, just a profile of Jalen Rose last year. Mm Mm-hmm. And it went into his very worthy work he's doing in Detroit schools, stuff like that. But I'm just like, why are we like, if I pitched this to the ringer, would they have been like, what? Yeah. You want to, you want to write what? Yeah. It just felt like it was out of time and out of time in ways that have more to do than just any show. That's a weekly or semi-weekly show being at a time. I'm just kind of like, wait, what? What's going on? Here? Yeah, I mean, even big pieces, video, video pieces started to exist from a million different outlets online, right? I mean, before Real Sports was one of the only places doing pieces like this, then it became <clears throat> mostly because anybody that had any interest in doing it didn't have access to a TV network to put this stuff out, right? I mean, except for the broadcast networks, which are either conflicted or too busy showing the real stuff to get into the commentary. Um, yeah, but now anybody, I mean, come on, just in, any old media upstart could put together a nine minute video package about some important story and get it in everybody's hand, homes without having to wait for, you know, the start time of the show every week. So, I mean, it, 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 it just really got swallowed up. That's why I push back when I see a headline like the one in Sportico that says TV dumbs down further with the end of HBO's Real Sports. Mm-hmm. That is perhaps true in the narrow genre of sports television or sports TV magazine shows, but the larger media world that we live in has more smart stuff than it's ever had before. Mm-hmm. It just does. It really and even does. If, yeah. And even if we think about like, you know, issues of sports and morality, like the ones that real sports specialized in, I mean, just think about what was written during the world cup last year. Like think how accessible it was. If you did not pay a cent to any media institution to read pieces. Yep. About what the stakes were that were much bigger than what was happening on the pitch. Think about the NCAA stuff we're reading about constantly, right? Mm -hmm. It was hard in the heyday of real sports to find a lot of that in your local paper or even your national magazine. It was there, yep. but now if you want to read about those things, it's easy, right? It really, really is easy. Also, I don't know if it's worth saying, but this is the latest and maybe the last of the many funerals we're having for HBO Sports. Uh-huh. There was the Bomani show. Yeah. Which felt like it was trying to recapture some of the magic of HBO sports of yesteryear, but now we're post that we're post boxing. 
we're post real sports. Mm-hmm. Again, I feel like we've had this funeral before, but that feels like the end of HBO Sports, at least as we knew it. Yeah, in prior life. it does. Yeah, there was a Bill Simmons show along the line, so along, yes, along there we, somewhere we must too. mention. Yeah, I mean, listen, they keep taking swings at it, but uh, whatever bar they're setting for it, they're clearly not clearly not meeting it. I mean, it's hard to be kind of an everything to everyone enterprise, right? In this day and age, we've seen over and over again these new, not new, these big media. Uh, I don't even know how to define them. Um, uh, platforms that just you know you try to do do different things to try to draw, draw in different audiences and it can work for a while but at the end of the day you know until there's some massive media consolidation i think it's hard to sort of have five silos and hope you're going to get five totally different audiences coming up on today's podcast how to win a campaign news cycle we have a very 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 long piece about what's wrong at the new york times Plus, Al Michaels is sitting out the NFL playoffs. And David, an athlete, has told us that he did not, in fact, overcome the doubters. All that and much more on the Press Box, a part of the Ringer Podcast Network. Hello, media consumers. Brian Curtis, David Shoemaker, and producer Brian Waters here. We got some high-quality, 150-proof scare the democrats content today david oh great we've talked about if you want to capture people's attention at this point during the presidential campaign put out a poll that makes things seem as dire as humanly possible Mm -hmm. here's one from monmouth university we got to bring back our bit about colleges you hear about largely in terms of presidential polling Yes. Welcome back, Monmouth. You're part of all of our lives now. (laughs) Monmouth University poll has Joe Biden with a record low 34% approval rating. 61% disapprove. Michael Scherer, who writes for the Washington Post, says Biden approval down 14 points since July among Democrats and independents. His own voters could keep dropping. He appears to be in a standoff with people who don't want him to run for re-election, but who he believes will vote for him if he is the only alternative to Trump. Mm-hmm. So that's how you capture everybody's attention. If you have a poll like that, yeah. again, this is your window. Put it out right now. But I would also add to you that there is a bumper crop happening in pieces that explain why polls like that are coming out. So you're scaring the Democrats on the one hand. And then as a secondary step, you are explaining to the Democrats what is happening that they can't imagine, right? They can't imagine that these are the results. There was a piece I was reading this morning in uh, the newsletter Off Message by Brian Boitler called New Media Change the World and We Aren't Immune. There was uh, another column in the Times that got some, some traction on this question. But that feels like the op-ed or big essay of the moment. Explaining to Democrats how something you can't imagine happening is in fact happening, at least at this early stage. 
and right. might happen all the way to next November. Yeah. I mean, this is not new, right? Um, this is something that this is a been a fertile market for a long time, especially <laughs> yes. when it See comes resistance Twitter, especially when it comes to, to, to the left. Yeah. Um, also, polling has been really bad for a long time, right? Mm. I mean, I think we're going to keep hearing these stories, and I think there's every reason to be concerned. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, I am personally, I am, you know, reasonably worried, but also fully convinced that this election is going to come down to like 1,600 people in Pennsylvania, and it's always been that way. And it's just a... It, those people can landslide or can divide it up, the, divide it down the middle, come down to a couple of votes. But I, I just like, well, I mean, what are we really arguing about here? How many of those 1600 people in Pennsylvania are at your recent weekend barbecues? Uh, I don't know how many, I don't know how many are on the fence. I'm going to be honest <laughs> with you. <laughs> well, we'll just leave it at that. David will be uh, spreading the word about the upcoming election. By the way, another poll that got a lot of traction was Nikki Haley mm-hmm. gaining on Donald Trump in New Hampshire. Iowa is sort of seen as Donald Trump and in parenthesis, maybe Ron DeSantis, maybe. Well, here's a new poll from CBS and YouGov in New Hampshire. 44% Trump, 29% Nikki Haley, and 11% DeSantis. Uh-huh. 10% Chris Christie. Yep. So perhaps that horse race it has been denied the political media now since april is happening at least in some limited way speaking of long pieces the other one i want to talk about was james bennett's piece in the economist you remember james bennett is the yeah of course editorial editor over at the new york times he is the one who under his stewardship the times published the tom cotton op-ed during the Black Lives Matter protests, which pissed off a bunch of staffers at the Times. Bennett says that initially the publisher, A.G. Sulzberger, was supportive, and then a few days later, Sulzberger asked for his resignation, which he unwillingly gave. Well, Bennett has a new piece about his experiences at the Times. It's in The Economist, David, and it runs about 17,000 words According to one estimate. Wow. I read it, but did not count the words as I was reading it, <laughs> which would have involved a lot of fingers. First off, before we even talk about what's in this piece, isn't it amazing that the New York Times continues to be the sole institution, sole media institution in American life that can occasion the 17,000 word broadside yes. journalism from one of its former employees? Mm-hmm. Would you? Does anybody want seventeen thousand words? Well, let, let, let's take that back. It's it's unclear that anybody wants seventeen thousand words from James Bennett about the New York Times. But if they wanted seventeen thousand words about anything, it would be the New York Times. Sure, the only institution that could occasion that kind of. I used to be inside the place. Let me tell you what's wrong with it from afar. Hand wringing. Mm-hmm. I saw Dylan Byers over at Puck was wrote a piece about this, and he pointed out that Hal Raines, when he was ousted, 
defenestrated, you might say, from the times way back when. His piece about his experiences there was actually longer than Bennett's. <laughs> People got a lot oh to God. say. Oh, my God. So Bennett's piece is mostly about a theme that we've talked about a little bit here, and I don't want to go into too much today. The Times' problem has metastasized, Bennett writes, from liberal bias to illiberal bias, from an inclination to favor one side of the national debate to an impulse to shut down debate altogether. And he talks a lot about that. One part that I did think was interesting that made me perk up a little bit was that Bennett talked about how many columnists were minted inside the newspaper. Not just in the broader opinion section. We talked about how that has just grown great guns, right? Every carbon-based life form in the United States has an opinion column at the New York Times. Mm -hmm. That's where they've seen so much growth and traffic. What he yep. points out has also happened inside the Times to a larger degree. He says Times, the Times newsroom has added more cultural critics. And as Bacay noted, that is former editor Dean Bacay, they were free to opine about politics. Departments across the Times newsroom had also begun appointing their own columnists without stipulating any rules that might distinguish them from columnists in opinion. It became a running joke. Every few months, some poor editor in the newsroom or opinion would be tasked with writing up guidelines that would distinguish the newsroom's opinion journalists from those of capital O opinion, and every time they would ultimately throw up their hand. Right. To me, that's fascinating. He's seeing this a little bit in terms of, you know, ideology and, and turf wars and all those kinds of things. But I perked up for a few reasons. One is because that has been one of, to me, the best parts about the Times is arts pages. I often look at the actual articles that are in the arts pages and I'm like, this is not stuff I want to read. Yeah. Then I see an Amanda Hess column and I go, ooh, that is exactly what I want to read. Mm -hmm. Because you're writing about something I'm interested in or you're even better taking me to a place that I didn't know I was interested in. You're a great sure. writer and a great thinker. Taking me so to a different place is a, right, is, a, is a great way to say it. Because again, you want something that is not so down the middle, right? You want something who's going to take it. Someone's going to take a slightly different angle on something to 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 draw in different aspects um, than you would, you know, immediately presume. And thinking of the idea like culture very very broadly, mm -hmm. but you could also see that within the columns of the Times's arts critics, James Poniewozik on television, who I just love reading. During the Trump presidency, his column was often about. Hey, here is a quality television show of the kind that Chris and Andy would be talking about on the watch. But oftentimes it was Donald Trump had a press conference mm -hmm. and I am going to write about it. And in the course of writing about it, I'm talking about its visual elements and in the television quality of it all and how Trump uses the medium. But I'm also talking about politics a lot of the time. Yeah. Necessarily. Mm -hmm. And that's been so fascinating, right? Because, you know, you and I grew up in a world where everybody was a lot more siloed than they are now. You were a television writer. You were a political writer. You were a sports writer. Yep. Those categories gradually leaked into each other. And then during the Trump presidency, they fully leaked into each other. Yes. In a lot of ways. 
Some people found that very off-putting. Some people said, please go back to talking about the thing that you're supposed to be talking about. I can't stand one more bit of liberal propaganda from you. I feel there were a few critiques of the press box on Reddit from mm-hmm. time to time that hit that mark. But also, it was just one of those things. You're the TV critic of the Times. Television is about Trump. Yeah. Of course you're going to be writing about Trump. And you're smart and interesting. And of course, we want you to be writing about that. Absolutely. In addition to just being like, oh, I'm, you know, I got what you need on Breaking Bad. Oh, that's it. Those are the things that you want to, I mean, th- those are interesting things to read, right? I mean, listen, not to be too dismissive about it, but in so many ways in the modern world, the New York Times and most newspapers have sort of become the way that we talked about the onion back in the day where it's like, okay, I got the headlines really all that matters, right? (laughs) You know what to expect, you know, what's going to come after that, you know? And it's imperative to draw on readers to have stuff that people are like, feel it's feel, you know, intrigued to read past the headline. Yes. I mean, Whenever you and I talk about publications that are feeling their way, and maybe that's a nice way of saying it here in 2023, what they're often failing to do is just produce things that people want to read. Mm-hmm. And you can see that in terms of, you know, political bias and ideological colorings and all those kinds of things. But oftentimes it's just what, what is the thing that it's going to get people to read a story in the art section right now? Yeah. Is it going to be a newser about a thing they've probably already seen on Twitter that doesn't add that much to it? Or is it going to be letting one of our columnists swing away mm-hmm. and write a really interesting piece? I was reading Panawazic on um, the Charlie Brown Christmas special in yesterday's paper. Yeah. There you go. that ran on the front page it was awesome. Such a good story. But that's like, that's part of it, right? And you know, you can think about this in certain terms, but it's finding stuff that people want to read in 2023. And that's way mm-hmm. different than what it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. For sure. A little bit like the real sports thing. So I, I just think that's really fascinating. And of course, at the times, that blows the circuitry, right? Well, we have opinion over here. We have news over here. We've always had critics, but what are these columnists doing in the news pages? Mm-hmm. And how are they operating outside this framework and are we thinking about them in the same way we would think about ross douthat or you know your name your favorite or least favorite opinion columnist yep totally short circuits but from my point of view i'm like no no those are the people who are bringing me back to the times's arts page because i can't wait to see what they have to say all right coming up al michaels is not calling an (laughs) nfl playoff game this year what do we make of what happened to uncle al but first david let's do the overworked Twitter joke of the week where we celebrate a gag that was so obvious that all of media Twitter made it at exactly the same time. Send your nominees to at the press box pod where they are always, always gratefully received. Saw this in my Twitter timeline over the weekend. Actor Sidney Sweeney was bitten by a spider while filming a movie in Australia. It was an overworked Twitter joke to write. Sydney Sweeney was in the Amazon with my mom when she was researching spiders right before she died. <laughs> Look it up if you don't know. Thanks to Kevin Dorsey for that one. 
And David's, we have some news from the coach firing division of NFL content. Great. The LA Chargers have mercifully fired their head coach, Brandon Staley. Oof. Their interim head coach is an outside linebackers coach named Giff Smith, G-I-F-F. Giff Smith. It was an overworked Twitter joke to write. Wait, is it pronounced Giff or Jif? <laughs> Thanks to PJ Kendall, so far so bad, and Will, among many others. If you raised a question that I don't really remember how the internet answered, congrats, you made the overworked Twitter joke of the week. Can't tell you how many times when I was putting together this pod over the last year, I was like, wait, did we decide it really is GIF? <laughs> Or Jeff. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. In the notebook dump, David, some news from the New York Post's Andrew Marchand. NBC is going to have four NFL playoff games this season. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Number one team of Mike Tirico and Chris Collinsworth will do three of those. The fourth, it was thought, might go to Al Michaels. Now, he doesn't work for NBC anymore. He's over at Amazon. But when he left the network two years ago or a year and a half ago, he was named to an emeritus role, which I'd never actually seen in broadcasting. 
I went back and found the press release and it said, we are thrilled that he's staying in the family and raising the stature of our events for years to come. Which is not exactly a declarative statement of any kind. Yes. Last year, Al Michaels did an NBC playoff game, but as Marshan reports this year, that job is going to go to Noah Eagle, who is calling Saturday night Big Ten games for NBC. There's a couple parts of the story. One is when Marshan called Al Michaels about it in November. Michaels did not seem to know he wasn't doing an, an, an NFL playoff game, which is very unfortunate. Mm-hmm. In the big picture, I guess, I'm kind of surprised, but also kind of not surprised. Because NBC is not in the Al business anymore. They are in the Noah Eagle business. Yeah. You got a young broadcaster. You've got a Big Ten package that you are really, really going to want to promote. Especially starting next year. Yeah. And we've seen from some of those Big Ten games, ooh, often not the best quality football programming mm-hmm. in the world. So anything we could do to get more eyeballs on that, it makes sense. I also feel that we have this tradition as a nation where we get together on Thursday nights and we make fun of the quality of football on Amazon mm-hmm. that they are showing. We make a lot of fun of it when the Chargers, who would quickly fire their coach, gave up 63 points, not a typo, to the Raiders last week. 63 points. And what happens is you almost leap from that to this idea that Al Michaels doesn't have a great job anymore. Yeah. How can I push back on that as forcefully as possible. Al Michaels has a great job, folks. Yeah, he does. Amazon Thursday Night Football. After leaving the job at NBC, where he called a Super Bowl in his hometown on the way out the door. Yep. He is still what we call in the wrestling business, David, a top guy. (laughs) Yes. If you don't believe me, let's get every football announcer in America and ask if they want to trade jobs with Al Michaels. Yeah. Kevin Burkhart, Joe Buck, Jim Nance, Mike Tirico, they might not say, they might say no mm-hmm. because they're still in the Super Bowl rotation. They're on the, in the sure. part of the network packages, but every other football announcer in America. Yep. That's a to yes. Make the big bucks to found or practically found a sports division. Mm-hmm. To bring the NFL full time to streaming, to have a night, a night where you have NFL football all to yourself. Yep. With no competition from anybody else. Mm-hmm. Are we serious about this? <laughs> I love Al Michaels. I really do. But I remember when Pat Summerall broke up with John Madden, because Madden had another job, and Pat Summerall was like, I want to keep broadcasting. Let me just say the valedictory tour for Pat Summerall was, uh, maybe you should do some games with Brian Baldinger. Yeah. You're going from the first Tom Brady Super Bowl to not the Super Bowl. This is a, this is the richest and biggest valedictory tour I can ever remember for a broadcaster. Yeah. A fantastic job. And I just feel it is worth saying sometimes in the midst of, 
a Thursday night blowout in the second quarter that Howell's got a great job. Besides the playoffs, besides what the Chargers are throwing, you know, throwing up all over themselves on Thursday night. I don't know, man. <laughs> just funny. I agree. It's just funny to see us talk ourselves into something else. And people are like, well, this is what a horrible way for Al's career to end. It's like, first of all, it's not ending. He's got another year on his contract. He's coming back. And second of all, it's not a horrible way to end. You know, may not be exactly what he desired, but it's a great freaking job. Yep. Only in crazy navel gazing media world is this some utter humiliation to do Thursday night football on Amazon. Some history made this week, David, an athlete tweeted something <laughs> that Go itself on. was not historical. Um, you and I like to laugh when players insist that nobody believed in me. Oh yeah. I overcame all the doubters. And then we look at their Wikipedia page and we're reminded that they were taken second overall in the draft. Yes. So, so, so somebody believed in you. We reply, well, the Giants defensive end Kayvon Thibodeau would seemingly fit that profile. It was an absolute game wrecker of a pass rusher at Oregon. He went fifth overall in the draft last year. Mm -hmm. But David, Kayvon Thibodeau has other ideas. Last week, he tweeted this, presumably to his fans. Thanks for all the recognition, but I'm not a victim and prove people wrong narratives are old. I'm playing good football and constantly getting better. Let's stop hanging on to old headlines. <laughs> so Kayvon Thibodeau seems to be speaking out against nobody believed in me content and freezing cold takes. <laughs> in one tweet. I can't tell you how refreshing that is. That's amazing. Good job. I totally understand when athletes, you just like, I got to work myself into a physical and emotional state to go kick some ass. Yep. So I'm going to just remember, because I've done that at my computer. I've, I've picked out editors and bosses that did nothing but believed in me. And I've convinced myself that they don't believe in me. Sure. And that gets that first draft of the story done or the podcast rundown done. So I don't blame anybody, but it's interesting. There's somebody say, I'm going the other way. A sufficient amount of people believed in me. <laughs> I did not have that many doubters. By the way, Kayvon Thibodeau deleted the tweet, so not sure if this should be wow. declared a total victory. <laughs> well, I hope he knows that we support him. You have a lot of support. Come on Pressbox and talk about these issues further. You and I have asked the question, who is talking to Chris Wallace? Or who's yes. talking to Chris Wallace? <laughs> Formerly of Fox News. Him. Now, see, you were. Oh, I've got some yeah. news for you, buddy. Chris Wallace tells The Hill that David Zaslav called me this summer, which is unusual, and said, I really would like your voice to be part of our political coverage in 2024. And I have to say, Chris Wallace continues, having been away from it for almost two years, I was getting itchy. Chris Wallace. Will not just be doing uh, interviews at an uncertain time on either television or on streaming. Chris Wallace will be back to covering politics. Hmm. Well, guess who knows some of the people that'll be talking to him. Now, is this what you were wondering about, Chris Wallace? Or do you have some other 
ideas <laughs> floating through your head. Let's just leave it there. You seemed a little underwhelmed by this news. Yeah. Well. Uh, we haven't done media just, piss test in a while. Let's do it. Joaquin Nagel sends this one along, and this is from a tweet. The final season of Stranger Things is like season one on steroids. Oh, my God. Good to know. Uh, our friend from television, Mitch Carr, sends us this one. James Carville. By the way, James Carville, are we sure that James Carville isn't just like a aggregated tweet at this point? <laughs> Last time <laughs> I you saw, saw a live James Carville segment. Uh, I saw him on, um, God, what talking, what did I see him? I saw him on TV recently. So he's Bill still, Maher. was he on Bill Maher recently? No, that's I think he great. was on Bill Maher. Yeah. Okay. Maybe this is from Bill Maher, but James Carville called, or he said of Mike Johnson, the new speaker of the house, his views are quote hypocrisy on steroids. <laughs> Not just hypocrisy, but hypocrisy on steroids. Got some only in journalism words for you. Great. Alert listener DB nominates Ballyhooed. Oh, yeah. Really feel like I'm opening up Newsweek in 1992 when I see the word Ballyhooed yep. in print. Also, just a funny word. Oh, yeah. It's a great one. And then alert listener TM nominates Cudgel. Has a quote here: "Scholars of impeachment warn you yeah, never say that as a out cudgel. Loud. No, do you know mm -hmm. what a cudgel is? I assume a blade of some sort. Okay, so I went with a hammer because I realized I've only been reading this in political articles. Yeah, and I have not been interacting with a real life cudgel. Turns out it's a short, heavy club, according to Merriam-Webster." And some of the pictures on Google showed it as a short, heavy club with spikes. Oh, really? Yeah. Dang. You had a real role playing game. Yeah, for sure. I'm right, trying to think yeah. if I ever if I if I ever had like a, you know, a, a thief or a warrior that ever used a cudgel, I, I probably did. I feel really terrible now. Well, it's time, David, for everybody's role playing game. It's time for David Shoemaker. Guess it's a strain pun headline. Yeah. Last Monday's headline about the return of an adorable creature was welcome back, Otter. Today's headline comes to us from Joel Landau. It's from the New York Post. Rewind one NFL news cycle, David, when okay. the Giants' Tommy DeVito yeah. was still something of a media sensation along with his agent. Mm-hmm. The subhead on the front page of the post here is how rookie Giants quarterback, who still lives in Parent's house, won the hearts of New York. I want you to think of a former hit song, a real earworm as you think about Tommy DeVito and ponder what was the New York Post's strain pun headline. A hit song? Yes. Um... Is it a, a, oh God? Still living at home. Still living at home. Home. Uh, song looks like it dates to 1999. Oh, oh living La Vida Loca. Yeah, so it is living, living, 
love living <laughs> DeVito, DeVito Loca. Yeah. Living yeah, okay. DeVito Loca. Yeah. Okay. That's fine. Do we want to speculate about the age of the New York Post editor who came up with that wood? <laughs> <laughs> At least <laughs> a certain age. No, we're not ones to talk. He is David Shoemaker. I'm Brian Curtis. Production Magic by Brian Waters. Do we have time for a little story time here before we go? Sure, let's do it. I've taken uh, a lot of pleasure in showing my son, Owen, who's 10 years old, a lot of movies. Yeah. Raiders of the Lost Ark, Star Wars movies, Gremlins recently. Oh, yeah, that's on our queue. I took him to Die Hard, which got randomly released in theaters a week ago. Oh, that's cool. Or two weeks ago. Oh, my God. When he heard Hans Gruber say, now I have a machine gun. Ho, ho, <laughs> ho. There's just the laughter that erupted from him. It was his first R-rated movie. That was fun. That's fantastic. An, an unexpected source of mirth, though, because he's now becoming a little conscious about movies and actors. And speaking of circa 99 or thereabouts, the Arnold Schwarzenegger prank calls. Oh, gosh, that's so great. So we revisit favorite movies, favorite books. But what if we revisited crude Internet content mm -hmm. from 20 plus years ago? So great. And if you don't think he, oh, young Owen has been walking around the house going, now I have a bunch of questions. And I want to have them <laughs> answered immediately. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's so great. Oh, my God. Truly one of the it's best so things great. I've ever done. There's going to be dad. somebody on TikTok doing like the Arnold soundboard, right? I guess. I don't know. It's such a good gimmick. And it was really the best one, right? There was an Al Pacino one that was okay. And then it, then it got into like Dr. Phil and stuff we didn't care about. I guess we have yeah, too many you know, copyright issues to worry about, but somebody should, somebody should be doing that. Oh, my God. But I'm listening to like Arnold Schwarzenegger calling gateway computers, and I'm like, it's this amazing moment in time where you have the technology to harvest quotes from Kindergarten Cop and other movies, but you also have the advantage that the person answering the phone doesn't totally know that mm -hmm. the technology to do that exists. Yes. Oh, yeah. They're not that like I'm listening to perfect. Arnold sound. They don't know what a soundboard is. They don't know that I'm listening. They're just. Yeah, I guess you don't need that anymore. You have AI. We should just. Can we just do an Arnold Schwarzenegger podcast? It's hosted entirely by the 1995 soundboard of Arnold Schwarzenegger. Absolutely. It was the original AI, the original deepfakes. That's a that's yeah. a is that's a free story idea, by the way, here at the press box. Alan Siegel, I hope you're listening. <laughs> I'm calling internet entrepreneurs in the country to. Help us relive the Arnold prank calls. Later this week on the Press Box, David, we'll do this Thursday, we decided. Yeah. Our year in media. This is going to be a whale of a show. We put together the list here. Oh, my God. First of all, there's a whole wow that happened in 2023 category of stories. Uh-huh. Like Chris Lick, that was, oh, right, that was this year. Fox News settlement, Michael Lewis, ESPN layoffs, AI, speaking yep. of which, what a year it was. Let's say the happiest year, but we will have plenty to revisit, along with the usual coterie, only in journalism, 
of lukewarm takes about the media. See you then, David. See you later, Brian. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side by side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.